Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plot Mechanics, the movie podcast where we discuss our favorite movies and your favorite movies. My name is Ed, and I will be joined shortly by Adil, Motsi, and Leon to discuss this week's film, Moonlight. This film was requested by Greg, one of our loyal listeners, so thank you Greg for recommending it. We are very happy that you did. Just a friendly reminder, this film discussion will contain spoilers for the film, so if you haven't seen Moonlight yet, we highly recommend watching it and then coming back here to hear what we have to say. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. I like. I feel like Leon was like going into an intro and I just ruined it. I, like, I mean, like, plot okay, twist, we can plot start again. That's, that's how all my segues are ruined by you guys. All of them. No, that's yeah, how, yeah. That's, that's, that's how we're starting this episode. All yeah. my segues are ruined by you. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which means uh, another episode of plot mechanics. Uh, by now, you should know who we are. But if you don't, uh, I'm Leon. I'm Ed. I'm Adil. And I am Moxie, the and... segue ruiner. And yes, yes, you are. Uh, ironically, and this week we are talking about the fantastic 2016 film Moonlight, uh, starring Mahershala Ali and and Janelle Monae and several other people in several other timelines. And but before we go off, first impressions, guys, or second impressions? I don't know how many times you've seen this movie. So, how many times have you seen it, and what are your impressions? Once I have seen this movie once, and that was for this. I, I I wanted to watch it before, like I definitely like I for some reason I I have a very distinct memory of sitting down to watch it, but not doing that. Um, it just feels like it kept like slipping out of my consciousness. But then, yeah, you guys chose it for this particular week, and I love it. I love Ed. It. Ed chose this movie. Ed chose this movie, like you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ed chose this movie. He he almost switched it out for Brokeback Mountain, which was a terrible, terrible choice. By the way, not kidding. What? <laughs> uh, ha, ha, oh, oh, amazing. We're we're gonna talk about that next. Wait, time. over over Moonlight. Okay, either way, no, we'll go back. No, we're, we're talking about Moonlight this week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're talking right. about Moonlight. All I'm saying is that I'm happy I got to watch this movie finally. Yeah. Like, and it is beautiful. Yes, that's my impression. Cool. Um, yeah, nine out of ten for me. This movie is a freaking masterpiece in every way that that can be said. Uh, it definitely, um, when I heard La La Land get the award for best picture, I was actually angry because there is no freaking way in hell La La Land is a better film than Moonlight. But when they made that little problem switch, mix up whatever it was called, and Moonlight accepted the award for best picture, I was very happy. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm just yeah, mad, mad that they didn't get to do a speech. And also, like, very, I found it really funny when they did. Oh, I mean, they, they did. did. It was shortened, but they did. Oh, it was shortened. Yeah, yeah. Their speech was shortened, not like, yeah. But um, it was very funny to see Guillermo del Toro um, throw shade on it next um, in the next year, or was it year, two years later, um, when he made a joke, just made, like, I have to make sure that this is actually on the card. <laughs> <laughs> like a moonlight joke two years later i mean you know i, I always find that people you know they, they they like to say the oscars aren't relevant or they're not progressive enough but it was like in 2016 which you can make that argument but it's like in 2016 they gave the film to about a black gay man and then the next year they gave it to a deaf girl having sex with a fish man 
It's not like a matter of like everyone's second choice was Shape of Water, but yeah. nobody could agree on their first choice, so That's, Shape of Water got it. <laughs> that is how you course correct. You go, all, <laughs> you go real far from being like, there's nothing but heterosexual white people in, this, in these wards. Let's go to a deaf Latino fish lady. Woo! <laughs> Transition in the middle. Uh, gay black guy? Yeah, that's a good movie. Well, Shape of Water <laughs> will be a movie for another day. I, Ed, I'm a little surprised. You said this movie is a masterpiece in every way and you give it 9 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> because that's right. 10 out of 10 are perfect movies. Mm-hmm. And I've literally given 10 out of 10 to like 5 movies. This is not one of them. Okay. There are minor flaws in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like I said, it's it's like... I don't give nine out of 10s. I don't give eight out of 10s like on a regular basis. Uh, you see me, I stop at seven. If I have nothing, sure. no yeah. major complaints with the movie and I thoroughly enjoyed it, it's a seven. You want to get to eight, you want to get to nine, you got to impress me. And <laughs> wow, Moonlight, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I give this movie 10 out of 10. Another movie I give 10 out of 10, La La Land. I think those movies Oh, really? Are, yeah, no, I kid you not. Because they're very different movies, they can't be compared and could have gone either way. Like culturally, like not culturally, but um, it's more, Moonlight is a more relevant movie to today. And also Moonlight is not trying to be La La Land and La La Land is not trying to be Moonlight. How do you compare that? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, for me, I think that this film just leaves me floored in every way, like the way that this film is presented, presenting its character, presenting its situation, and it doesn't draw attention to any of it. It's literally just the characters being, the characters trying to live. It's showing so much of the environment that they have to uh, grow up, that this character has to grow up in, which is so instrumental to like the things that it's trying to say about society, about the the, the oppression of, of certain people, races, and on top of that, the whole concept of being gay in a very, very, very uh, homophobic neighborhood. I, I also want to add like two things that might, again, um, call, calling back to things that I've said before, but also just um, two very silly things that I will explain myself for. Um, one is, it's another gay longing movie. Yay. The, we have, we're two for two on very good gay longing movies. But the second, one, second thing I'm going to say is... Um, no, no hate for Zack Snyder, but this is what Zack Snyder wishes he was doing when he did all those musical, like, um, musical, like, um, uh, when like he's trying to put like silent moments in music and like making it cool. And some of them work, some of them don't. But in this movie, the moments where it's you know thoughtful, quiet, and there's nothing said, and there's like music, there's like a very good like uh, music like playing in the background. They worked like in every scene that they happened. And I like how there's like a variation in the music too. Like there's, um, it's like, there's no, like when you look at the genres of music that they play, they kind of go in different like areas, different directions, but then they all fit like for the moment that they appear in Moonlight. And yeah, it's just like, um, I really, yeah, I really love this movie, but not just because of the things you can kind of list down um, about its relevance or its story. The presentation, I think, is what kind of makes this movie different from other movies. Um, I think that a lot of indie movies cover a lot of interesting and important topics with the same thoughtfulness. 
but I think this movie was elevated because not just not just through like the thoughtfulness of its of its topic or its story or the pacing even, but the way it was presented it was so beautiful. It's like a beautiful movie. Like people have talked about the cinematography of this movie and the color grading and everything, but like it's watching this movie is such an experience like to the eyes and ears. It's kind of it mixes what I love about like turn your mind off blockbusters in which somebody has mastered spectacle um, and the thoughtfulness and quiet like um, beauty of like an indie film with an excellent like story and pacing. So it's like those two together in this movie, it's like, it's, it's what I, why I really, I'm so glad I got to watch this movie. It's like presentation, 10 out of 10, story, 10 out of 10. Like I also have like maybe one or two small issues with this movie, but overall like it is beautiful while also being thoughtful. And some movies achieve one thing, but not the other, you know, like it, it depends. And some of them achieve one thing more than the other. So this one kind yeah. of balanced that out really well. And Leon? Um, so yeah, I'd say, I'd say this movie, this movie can be graded on so many different levels. I'm going to put it on a solid like nine, eight point five, nine out of 10. Um, and that's mainly just because of the themes and how they balance it. Um, I think there's very, 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 very few movies that use a theme of uh, not only understanding like masculinity in film, but also like black masculinity in film. Um, and that is something that never happens on film. And if it does, it's generally stereotyped so for them to try and talk about those themes of black masculinity, understanding that like the world that we live in and it's an Oscar flick needs to have that same relationship with black crime and ghettos and all that fun stuff. And then infusing that with, you know, some a main character who is gay, um, they, they really tried to basically market it in a way that they knew people would want as an Oscar movie while also not alienating the fact that it is a black movie about black masculinity and black vulnerability and all that stuff that never gets talked about in American culture without being ostracized. So it is, uh, I'd say it's an 8.59 out of 10. I think it's fantastically directed. It's beautifully shot. It's color themes are, are fantastic. Um, like, like visually this movie is amazing um yeah yeah it's, it's great it's a good movie yeah and like to go back to my little thing about la la land and the oscars i i i was championing this film because we don't see this type of representation being celebrated the way like like i'm not gonna say i'll say la la land is a good film i really enjoy it but i think that those type of films have had their day um and i feel like a movie this good does need to be recognized and does need to be recognized at a ceremony that is still kind of as much as we like to say it isn't it's still considered to be you know fairly um uh, the word that i'm like it's it means something in other words yeah it's still so, prestigious uh prestigious yes yeah like, it still means something and so the fact that this film because i don't think they anyone made this film with that in mind this was definitely a, a, a passion project and a film that the director and the writer barry jenkins definitely felt strongly for uh about the the issue so um with that i think we should get into quick summary and then little box office and then we can talk about the 
the plot structure, I guess. And I do want to ask later on, like once we've covered like the plot summary and everything, that will also be a fun little uh, callback to what I said about uh, Portrait of Girl on Fire. So yeah. Which is a an episode we haven't released yet. So if you want so, to listen yeah. to that, Spoiler subscribe. Alert. We did that I movie. Never know, I wow. never know anything about the release dates. Don't ask me. And put it on his Ed put it on his YouTube ages ago. So if you paid attention, you know what we're talking to, about. But it, to what it's kind of one of those things where we will we'll reference a movie. Figure it out when we, yeah, it's like we'll, but... we'll reference something and it yeah. turns out the reference doesn't work. Well, uh, people who haven't necessarily seen this or want to recap, Ed, would you like to uh, pull a summary and then maybe a little box office as well? Yeah, it'll be a fairly quick summary. Um, spoiler alert, I'm, we're assuming that all of you have seen Moonlight. If you haven't, we are going to be spoiling the hell out of this movie. So uh, it would be a good idea to go back and watch it. But if you haven't seen it in a while, we'll just do a quick recap. Uh, so Moonlight is a 2016 film written and directed by Barry Jenkins. It is based on the unpublished play by Tyrell Alvin McCraney, titled In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. The film stars Trevante Rhodes, Janelle Monet, Naomi Harris, Andre Holland, and Mahershala Ali. The film tells the story of Chiron in three stages of his life. The first is when he is a young child who goes by the name Little, and he's growing up in Liberty City, which is a neighborhood in Miami that has one of the highest uh, populations of African Americans. Little is found in an abandoned crack house by Juan, uh, an Afro-Cuban drug dealer, as Little refuses to speak to Juan or say where he lives, Juan takes him home uh, to be with his wife, Teresa. Over the days that pass, Little starts to develop a closer relationship with both Teresa and Juan, which ultimately comes to a startling revelation that Juan is in fact selling drugs to Little's mother, who has a heavy addiction to crack, causing her to have sex for money and mostly neglecting Little. It is also at this young age that Little is questioning what a faggot is, as this is something his mother has called him before. The second segment is when Chiron is in his teenage years and is mostly a soft-spoken, heavily introverted person. His mother is still a drug addict. Teresa provides a safe space for Chiron to visit, but Juan is now dead. In this segment, Chiron is dealing with a bully who continually harasses and physically assaults Chiron and multiple occasions, the only person he feels safe around is his best friend, Kevin. One night, Kevin and Chiron are smoking by the beach uh, where the moonlight is shining on them. And it is here where they kiss and have one, uh, Chiron's first sexual experience. The third segment focuses on Chiron in his 20s, where he is now a drug dealer living in Atlanta who goes by the name Black. One day, he gets a call from Kevin, who is now a cook in Miami. Uh, to come by sometime whenever he's in town. Chiron then decides to drive to Miami to see Kevin, who he hasn't seen since high school, and the two reminisce about their lives up to this point, and Chiron reveals to Kevin that he is the only person he has ever felt close to. So for a box office, Moonlight did fairly well off a $4 million budget. It grossed $27 million domestically. Worldwide gross is $65,336,000. Uh, I believe it won how many Academy Awards? Mahershala Ali won uh, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, and Best Film, so three. And it is it currently has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes that is based off 389 reviews and an IMDb user score of 7.4. Okay, so let's talk about this. 
again, I will bring this up uh, with with full respect and love for this movie. It reminds me of a fanfiction. No, but um, the the actual thing I want to say oh. is that there is a culture like this is something that isn't seen in ma- mainstream culture a lot, but I do see it in um, not, not, I mean fan culture, but also just in smaller like um, in smaller uh, groups, like in smaller more marginalized groups. It is the um, celebration of queer ma- of masculinity. From a queer context as well like I, I i'm obviously not the best person to kind of speak to that but i do have a lot of friends who uh, i've made through um you know through a queer community fan communities and everything who are who either grew up like with this kind of um with this culture of like needing to be masculine need to be more masculine and kind of um having to grapple with that feeling while also like being queer or like being gay, bi, etc. And it's so interesting, like a lot of this is covered in fan works, fan fiction, fan art, or even just by queer webcomic creators, that kind of thing, just because they're kind of grappling it with it on their own. A lot of them are BIPOC, a lot of them are Black, Indigenous, POC, who um, either grew up um, with these masculine, like with, the, with these masculine expectations or they are trans men who have to like kind of shift into the new masculine expectations that they are being like presented because they want to be trans because they want to be because they are um because they are trans men and like have to see what that means like in the larger culture and i think like seeing that in a movie that got this much mainstream attention is so it's like a comfort it's like it's comforting it's like I've seen so many stories of that, but that's because I run within these circles. Like I've read the stories written by other people, and that's like fandom because in fandom you have a lot of um, uh, stories based on like very masculine, manly men, and fandom takes it and like ships them or whatever. But the but the context of that is that a lot of queer men are able to tell their own story, and this is very is a very informal setting. This is like something that's very comfortable, very fun. We all share the same love for it and everything. We share our own stories, but you don't see this a lot in mainstream. And Moonlight, I think, uh, shares that a little bit of that. Like, here's my background, which is not represented often, like uh, the blackness that is shown in Moonlight. Um, Here is the queerness that is shown in Moonlight. Like these two things, um, mainstream Hollywood and just shows in general have rejected so often, or if they cover one or the other thing, it's often pushing the rest of it aside. And I think it's beautiful, like you have this character who has to grapple with the very um, masculine expectations, black masculine expectations, while also having to grapple with like being soft or at least like having these feelings. And uh, a friend of mine said that this movie feels very comforting. And I think it's because it's so it could have so easily fallen into the trap of queer pain and black pain. It's like it could have so easily been a movie about suffering and suffering alone, a bad ending, that kind of thing, like this and that, making that beautiful, quote unquote. But instead, it decided, like, despite all the suffering being experienced, like, as a product of just living in this situation, um, there is, like, beauty and joy, like, in love and in, like, accepting yourself as a person. And, yeah, like, that's why this movie is so unique. Like, even though I've seen many, many, many stories of this in contexts that are not formalized or popularized, 
it is something that you don't see like on screen very often. And I think that's why it's both unique, but also so comfortable um, as somebody who has seen these stories in an, in an informal setting. I think one of the biggest revelations for me in this film was the idea of Juan selling drugs essentially to uh, Chiron's mom. I think that was probably the biggest twist for me that was the most shocking. I think that that scene is essentially what cemented Mahershala Ali as, he's a fantastic actor, don't get me wrong, but that scene with Mahershala Ali like telling this, you know, seven or eight year old child that he's selling drugs to his mother um, and then like it just fades as like Mahershala Ali as a drug dealer like breaks down being like, I'm, I'm literally the reason your life is being like as hard as it is and I'm trying to help you. And I think like that just how they, how Mahershala acted out that scene was like, give this man an Oscar. Like I are watching it and be like, give this man an Oscar right the hell now. And then they did. So I was like, yeah. okay, well, yeah, good. They did. that work? <laughs> yes, good, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, they started breaking down crying. My God, yeah. I was like, this, I this, Ali and everything. Let me like this, this movie, this movie has, um, this movie is very, 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 very well done at portraying hum humanity uh, that I don't regularly see in movies that aren't focused around murder and war uh, or something that's like, humans are hard to deal with. So let's focus on whatever, you know, uh, crucifixion or war or apocalypse that we have to deal with. This was like, no, no, we're gonna tell a story about humanity in, it, in its entirety. Now, of course, this, mo this movie is based off of a short story of someone who published like their, unpublished anyways, autobiography. So that, that kind of comes hand in hand on how these ideas are portrayed. I think that, um, all of these actors deserved best actor, but I think it was just Mahershala Ali in that one scene that kind of cemented him um, that I think that, and of course, like he was the first Muslim actor ever to win uh, Oscar. I think that's true. So I'm not well, sure. I think, I think him I'm gonna say I think also, like all three leads that played Chiron in different stages of his life all deserve some kind of recognition. Like I think all three of them yeah. contributed heavily to to creating that character it's it's kind of interesting because i remember like two years prior to that boyhood came out which was basically a 12-year experiment of the same actor growing you know each year and you would see the actual growth not just in performance but in like actual physical and emotional growth so it was almost like not like creating performance but not so much a performance um like that had to be built here where it's like taking three different actors and saying you all play the same character this is your piece and you ha you all have to figure out how to create this well-rounded character which i thought was an interesting different approach to essentially showing like a, a life in three in different segments mm -hmm. i think yeah. i want to speak to the um i'm sorry i'll, I'll just quickly i want to speak to the script as well because like i find that the script when i think about it like objectively it's not that amazing like the script like the the i mean the dialogue not the script you know as a whole but like the dialogue isn't that amazing when you break it down into parts like you just look at the dialogue it's very basic but i think in a way where it was smart enough not to try to lead the lead the emotions like it, it, it it's it's dialogue where 
it's very neutral in its quality. It's not trying to be anything special, but it is carried by the acting of like all the actors. Like it is carried by how the actors deliver them. So like if they had been less lesser actors, the dialogue would have come off as very, not overall bad, but like some of it would have been very cheesy or kind of like contrived in some ways. And I think the fact that the dialogue was both um, malleable enough that the actors were able to turn it into gold or it was it was subdued like regardless of like whether or not the lines themselves were like beautiful on their own the the line the dialogue was very subdued like the way they did the dialogue was um it didn't need to overpower the story like and i think i really appreciated that about like the way it was delivered like when i listened to the lines i'm like if you had been a worse actor this line would have sounded cheesy and terrible but <laughs> the way but the way they did it is that um the lines were just enough in quantity and just neutral enough that the way they were delivered really makes it like punch like re really like stays with you and i think like yeah that that's really like uh, speaks to the quality of like um, the way this movie was put together. Well, I also think that it could have been that a lot of this was improvised. It could have, that could have very mm -hmm. well been the case as well. Um, I, I didn't really see any issues with the dialogue in itself because I felt that everything was meant to be very realistic. And I did feel like that was the case. Um, but I would also say like the scene where um, uh, Naomi Harris, like Sharon's mother essentially puts Juan in his place when he tries to confront her about her neglecting her kid and being like having sex with this random dude i for me like the the dial the way that was written was it couldn't have been better written in, well, in terms of the dialogue because like like i've never heard a a, a takedown of capitalism <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. like 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 laser eyed where it's like you create the problem and then you try to impose a moral superiority over the person that's being affected by the problem you created. Yep. It was like perfect. Like I couldn't, I couldn't imagine any better way. Yeah. But I think, I think that's exactly what you said, why you can't really have, for example, Matt Damon uh, make this movie. Um, because that is a, that is a, a, a strictly like, person of color minority mentality especially living in miami especially having an understanding of you know what society does and how society works and both at that time was the 80s so crack epidemic and then having like the school system like they understood that there is superiority problem in that society and i think whoever well, whoever's writing this story there's no way you could avoid that you can't yeah like There's it. an authenticity to this movie that you don't often see in movies in general. And uh, I'm glad you guys talked about Naomi Harris. So Paula, Tryon's mother, I think she should have won an Oscar for this. She she lost to Viola Davis, but she's so choice. good in general. Sorry? That's a hard, that's a hard balance. <laughs> Viola Davis and Fences is an easy choice for me. That's not a movie, that's, that's film theater. And she already won for that same role in, in the theater. <laughs> Uh, but point. <laughs> it's um yeah she should have won for this i mean she's so good and she has uh she plays that same character in three different periods of her life and of her son's life and knowing naomi harris from james bond from 
pirates from everything else she has she's so talented in general mm-hmm. and she she really deserved this you know, Viola Davis is gonna win so many Oscars at some, <laughs> after like this year she's gonna probably gonna win Fair enough. yeah yeah I think the scene that that should have gotten her the Oscar is when uh they meet in the rehab center uh, and then she, he, she's trying to light the cigarette, and I was just like, "Yeah, that should have been, that should have been the scene." That you're just like, "Wow, you pulled that off so well!" Of someone who's recovering from a drug addiction uh, and having to look their son in the eye and have to like mentally acknowledge all of the shit you put him through because of the situation, and he's still there to like light your cigarette. Like she pulled that off, and I'm like, "Damn!" And now she's gonna be in some superhero Venom movie, and I'm like, "Oh." Like <laughs> Maybe she'll be good in it. But well, yeah. I mean, like everyone is movie. Everyone isn't, isn't that the actor trajectory now? Starring right? great indie drama, <laughs> and, then, and then Marvel finds up, you, and then end up playing. Oh, not even all Marvel, I guess. End up playing like a, a symbiote. But I mean, like I digress. Like the actors in this, um, especially Jarrell Jerome, which was his best his best friend growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Like considering that this was pretty much his first like acting role outside of like some short films like they just literally picked this kid off the street and was like hey want to be a moonlight and i guess he said okay and then his second role after that was when they see us on netflix so i'm like where did this kid come from just literally being picked up from some short film on youtube and then being put in like two of the most powerful films around black identity and black culture in the last decade (laughs) <laughs> like um what, what happened what, what, uh, like i get this from mahershala ali i get it from janelle monet who's always been like in the situation. i get it from naomi harris i get it from andre holland but like where did this kid come from <laughs> <laughs> he knows where he's going but yeah um i also want to just uh bring up i mean obviously like i keep bringing this up a little bit but um i i, I feel like it's um, I remember like there being a discussion around black lighting black people in movies after this after this came out or was it even I, I don't know if it was like yeah it was a result of this one right because like specifically even like the line that says like um, black boys look blue in the moonlight I'm like it, it's also like it it sparked a discussion about how like lighting black people in movies has always been so overlooked in the same way that styling black hair in movies or tv shows have been overlooked etc etc like a lot of um things small like seemingly small things in the production that really highlights how white centric everything has been and yeah it's like it's so interesting that it's part of this discussion but it's also like that line about black boys being blue in the moonlight it speaks to something where it's so much love I think it's like one of the reasons I love movies like this I again I call them the queer longing movies but um is it's um it's similar to how a lot of uh a lot of um queer made stories are so vibrant because it's a lot of longing it's a lot of love like for some like for something it's looking at the beauty of things that very often you can't have which I think is, uh, and when you can have it, there's like this perfect moment of ecstasy where it's like, it worked out because that's that's like a, that's a tone that I feel is lacking in certain films. See, but where, I, I'm sorry, fin- finish your thought and I, I have a comment on that. Oh yeah, it's just like, it's a tone that's lacking in a lot of films where um, having this like, love for a certain something like whether it's shown in the visuals or whether it's shown in the storytelling it doesn't 
show up that much. It's like, this is what romance movies fail to do very often, even though I do love very specific ones. When you love something that much, and when your art is, when you center your art on that, it shows. And I think like the way Moonlight shows it is, yeah, like the moments where it's quiet and they're like looking at each other and they're clearly in love um, are so powerful, but it's also the moments between um, uh, Juan and, um, and Little where it's like the love of, like it's tenderness from a sort of father figure and I think like every time there's love on screen, there is so much more color, there's so much more vibrance, there's so much more beauty. And I think that's why like, despite my whole issue with certain like romantic films, I think the element of romance in films is so powerful and so underutilized. And I think Moonlight really maximizes the way it's done here. It's like, wow, I am completely and utterly in love with you, with the image of a beautiful um, person. And I think that's like such a wonderful thing to like see in a film. See, look, yeah. I, I think on, on that point, I think that with film and especially with writing, uh, anytime you write a relationship, you generally there are assumptions on how that relationship is viewed. So like, if I'm writing a relationship about like me and my girlfriend, then I'm gonna assume that like everyone else in that relation, like in, in that in that story, I'm going to assume they understand my point of view in a heterosexual relationship. That makes sense. If you're writing a movie that doesn't have those assumptions already cemented in pop culture, you generally have to spend more time in character development. You have to spend more time in in uh, scripting. You have to spend more time in depictions of this person because all of the assumptions that everyone in pop culture is used to is thrown out the window. I have no idea how queer relationships work. So watching this movie, I now have to be basically handheld in understanding how those relationships are in fact different than what I am expecting from a heteronormative point of view. But so, I, think, I think that's kind of this one of the main points of this film which isn't even so much about the relationship it's about expectations the the title and the um like the title moonlight and where it's derived from the saying of of in the moonlight uh black boys sorry i black boys look blue um is kind of a contrast on that it's like the idea of of the expectations of what we think a black person would be or a black male, I would say, right. specifically a black male, the idea of masculinity, black masculinity or just masculinity in general, which is basically this person who's got to be like hard, tough, you know, prone to violence, all of these things that we expect these people to be like. Exactly. You know, and, and the idea of in the idea of the moonlight show reflecting blue is like, it's not like that at all. Right. These are not the expectations that you should have because that's not how all people are. It's not all how black people are. And this character like Chiron is dealing with the fact that, you know, he doesn't have a father figure. Everyone in his life, every male in his life is trying to exude that masculinity. Juan has it. He's a drug dealer. He controls everything. Um, you know, he's trying to put up that facade, that image. Um, Kevin is confused as confused as as uh 
as Chiron is. He's just going about it in, in, in the way that a lot of people that I grew up with who came out as gay later on uh, in life were, were basically, yeah, like I'm going to talk as much about women. I'm going to objectify women as much as I can. I'm going to do all of this talk just so that they can have that image. So no one would ever think that they're different. Chiron can't do that. He doesn't have that ability. You know, so he's, he's so in himself where he doesn't know, like he's in situations, he doesn't know how to react. And the one time where he uses that, where he he resorts to that masculinity, that toxic masculinity, where he beats his bully, like, you know, unconscious almost with a chair, he's put in jail for it. Yep. Or juvie. Yep. You know? And and And, it's crazy. Because like looking at that's, that's exactly why they never showed or never talked about how Juan died. Like they actively decided, even though he's a drug dealer, you can make assumptions about how he died. But the movie was just like, you have an expectation that he's a drug dealer and this is how he's going to die. Police shootout or gangster or whatever. And we are not going to tell you about it at all. We're just going to say Juan died. Deal with it. And all of the expectations that everyone has watching a movie about black people, it's almost like you like people would go in being like, oh, did one get shot? Did the cops shoot him? Did another drug person come after his territory? Blah, 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 blah. And they just didn't bother. They're just like, no, nah, it's, not, it's not a point of the movie. Our point is to subvert expectations. You, ex- you expect to have some kind of violent drug outburst happen. And Mashershala Ali go out on in a blaze of glory on the sidewalk shooting at cops. And they just said, no, we're just not going to, we're not going to fuel that, that, that stereotype. It's not, right? it's not to necessarily just a, but, but expectations. It's more that it's not important to the story. What's important is that Juan is not there for Chiron. And when he's growing up, especially in his teenage years, if he had Juan, his life would have been different because in the end, when he grew up, he took everything that wasn't good about Juan and became, even though Juan was his role model, everything that Juan had that was compassionate, well, not necessarily a lack of, lack of compassion, but the way he, he was as a person, the good side of him was not what Chiron chose to put forward. And, and I think that mm, Juan's character, even though he's only in the first third of the movie, his presence or absence is felt throughout. Absolutely. He's a presence throughout the film, 100%. And you you said said it exactly right, where it's like um, when he's trying to portray his gangster self, he's he's kind of figured out how to do this, this masculinity thing, where it's like, I don't need that. Like, I figured it out because of all the time I spent in jail, moving to Atlanta and all that. And, you know, he probably figured it out from Juan probably became his version of Juan, but without that, that, that compassion, that insight. And even right. Juan, like in the beginning, I, like he's mm-hmm. growing, he's, he's, he's still learning. Like I said, like, like the, 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 the inner turmoil he has of knowing that he essentially caused many of the problems in this kid's life, you know, from, uh, that, that eats him up inside. Right. It was that crying. Oh, so, uh, I I also just want to add in, sorry. um, I just wanted to add, like, um, I found it really, one of the really unique, like, moments with Juan that I really liked, even though, like, if I had gone into this movie, for example, not knowing that it was about a young boy struggling with sexuality, but I did, you know, so that's, like, how I went in. But um, the moment where Juan says, like, 
you know, when, when he kind of, um, when he dispels the notions that, um, that uh, be, it's wrong to be gay, or like he literally just says, it's a word to make pe feel, gay people feel bad. It's like, he's so gently, like I, I, what was the, what was the timeline for this? 80s, 90s? Yeah, it would have been, it would have 80s. been, it would have been late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, like um, that is some, that is a, that is a, that is a, um, an opinion that you would not immediately expect to be held by this very like seemingly hyper-masculine, seemingly very like um, tough guy. And like, it, it's so interesting. Like that's, that's the compassion that he gets from a guy who is essentially a drug dealer. And it reminds me of a film that I watched a while back. So there was a film, it got a couple of awards. It was a Filipino film. Um, I don't think you can find it anymore. It's, it was very small and it was very low budget but it was a film that stuck with me. It was called, um, what was it called? Um, I just remember like the main character's name was Maximo Oliveros. I forgot the title, but the main plot of this film, which is very low budget, essentially it's a young gay boy. And in the Philippines being gay, it's also like very being very effeminate. So like, it's kind of like a cross between being gay in, in North America, but also being trans. Um, and basically the, I, this, the story was about this young gay boy who was, who was from a family of criminals and his family loved him. His family doted on him. His family like really adored him, but he gets a crush on this cop, this very idealistic cop. Unfortunately in this situation, because they're all, they're all in this, in this, um, in this very impoverished area, the cops are very corrupt, but the cop he gets a crush on is like, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make things better. I'm going to make it like, I'm going to clean up, clean up this whole thing. I'm going to like, make sure I'm going to work from the inside to make sure that, you know, this corruption is cleaned out. But in the end, that cop becomes just as corrupt as the rest of them, kills, um, kills the main character's dad. And the main character essentially grows up. And I bring that up because like, it's such an interesting thing where you have this, these criminals essentially, and yeah, like that's what um, that's what one is in this context. He's a criminal, and but then at the same time, he's the one who shows he's the one who shows compassion. He's the one who shows love. He's the one who's gentle. He's the one who's kind. And, and but at the same time, it doesn't like shy away from showing that he also causes harm. And I think that's such an interesting like theme that goes into this. It's like um, it's the same as queerness and mo and monsters, which again, like we'll bring up in like Shape of Water later on. But there's such an interesting uh, intersection between being queer and not being accepted and then finding acceptance in, 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 um, in communities that are considered evil, dark, bad, et cetera, et cetera. Well, like to, to like hint on that, like that, that relationship that he had with, that Juan had with being uh, a gangster and being masculine is exactly mirrored by his understanding of how power structures work. So that's why when he's at his home with um, Janelle Monet, Teresa, Teresa um, yeah. and then like he has like a sensitive moment with Chiron, um, then that was kind of a, a, a showing of he understands that in particular situations, the masculinity needs to be limited and understood. Um, but then when he meets Sean's mother inside the car and she blames him for selling drugs to the community, um, that is exactly why 
that is then flipped because the power structure that he understood is a completely different power structure than what she understands. So it almost like looking at it from society, societal issues to city issues, and then looking at from city issues to neighborhood issues and looking at neighborhood issues to like family issues. Like the power structure literally is just a waterfall coming down and you know, Mahershala Ali playing this role of Juan uh, is completely aware where on that waterfall he stands. Um, so it, it's, there. there's so many, I want to say inception, but there kind of is an inception of themes uh, among different characters and different strategies, right? Um, the, the fact that, you know, Chiron can smoke a kid in the back of the neck with a chair uh, and then immediately go to juvie. I grew up in Brampton and I'm just like, yeah, so I saw that happen in my high school. That guy didn't go to juvie. Uh, it was like that, that made sense. And a lot of you didn't even go to juvie was just because the principals were aware of the power structures uh, and just said, well, that's fine, uh, which is bonkers because he then came back like a week later and he shanked someone. It was a whole, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. high school high school was crazy um <laughs> but i mean like it, this movie this movie has a very 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 um accurate look at how power structures are directly related to masculinity and how masculinity is directly related related to the concept of blackness whether that be uh janelle monet playing understanding of how Juan lives that life and then still being able to afford that life after Juan dies. Um, whether it comes to his mother understanding that, whether it comes to Chiron understanding that, whether it comes to the bullies understanding that, um, this movie just basically said there's a correlation between power structures and masculinity and masculinity trying to comprehend what power is and how do we tell that in a film that also wants to tell a story of someone uh, who is homosexual and dealing with that. And it's, it's, it's a very interesting way that this movie was scripted. And I think that's why it did deserve Best Picture because it was yeah. so easily balancing those themes across the also, And I think it has a, yeah, and I think it has a really core theme of the idea that, like you said about power structures, which is to change and take down the power structures. It, sometimes it takes a long time it's slow it can be painful and it only happens in small little things that eventually will compound you know like just the idea of of you know uh one understanding that he has a role to play in the community even if he's part of the problem he still takes in this boy he still has the response he he accepts the responsibility of taking care of of chiron it's uh, little things where it's like you know, Chiron making that decision to to go visit Kevin after he's been away for so long, you know, like he had no reason to go. Kevin, before he left, Kev, Kevin was one of the reasons why he acted out so violently because Kevin was told by the bully to beat him up and because to protect his own masculinity, he did it. Like it's, and and so the fact that Kevin kind of moved on from that gave Chiron that, that call and Kevin had his own experiences that made him kind of change his way of life. The Paula as well, like, you know, it, mm -hmm. the, and, and now she's actively working with, with, uh, with other drug addicts in the rehab center voluntarily. I so it, it, it's mm -hmm. like this idea that, that these 
power structures can be taken down, but sometimes it's not through big, big gestures. It's through slow progress. Mm -hmm. I think this is a, this movie balances, it's perfectly balances personal stories versus like um, the structures are, they're set in. I think that um, from the perspective of somebody who is both um, like from somebody who is not, ex who is experiencing both economic like um, oppression as well as like racial oppression. It's like, and of course, uh, compounding that with um, queer oppression, you know, <laughs> like all those things together. Um, but it's a very personal story in that the personal story of this character and the characters that he cares about um, is the way by which he heals from the trauma caused by the force, the power structures forced upon him, which I think is like such a lovely like thesis of this movie, which is like, it doesn't heal completely. Like he's still a drug dealer. <laughs> he's still like, not, not exactly like in, he's still in that power structure, but there are certain aspects where he does find somebody he can be tender with he does find like the love of let's say a father or at least a big brother or something in Marshall Ali, despite like the whole structure that he, that, that causes like pain for him in the family, in, in his family. And then he also finds healing with his mother through her recovery that he, and her, him like choosing, like him making the choice to visit her, I think is also something that it's a very, very subtle but very good choice especially after like that line that Marshall Ali's like one has about missing his mother like so it's it's so interesting like these are small moments of where you take away the toxicity like well it's toxic masculinity essentially you take away the toxicity you look at these moments of tenderness and just be honest about how much you want them um whether it's like the queer love or whether it's love of family or whether it's love of people you just or like found family and everything like these personal loving moments are what heal the pain um caused by power structures that are that are like that are forced on all of them not all of which they can escape but at least they can find healing in other areas because even at the end you don't know like you assume that he's not going to go he might not go back to his drug dealing ways, but, but you know, he will. It, don't might, know. might, we don't know. I mean, like, cause Kevin has his own life. He has the, he has a kid. He has, I, he said that they're not together anymore, but he does have like, like a relationship with another woman. So it's almost like, you know, we don't know how that's going to play out. And the film kind of shows that it's not really like the, the issues are still there, mm -hmm. but these people have been able to move past them. Yeah, and, and hopefully Chiron can too. It's a film of moments. Like I think that the 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 value of moments is shown in this film. Like, and I think like in real life too. Um, sometimes the hurts don't stop coming. They don't like they don't end, but sometimes they do in certain situations. Like the the broken relationship be, uh, between um, Kevin and Chiron did find like an uh, like find some healing. And I think like it, this movie shows that moments are important, like whether or not this is the beginning of a relationship or whether or not this is a one-time thing for Chiron. I think it's very interesting to see that with Chiron, the moments where, and the most iconic shot in the movie, which is like him swimming with, um, with Juan, like that moment is indelible. Like these moments of like tenderness and softness um, in a world where, everything is like harsh and hard and like even like from the beginning where they call him soft i think like the fact that he holds on to these moments of softness is what 
makes this movie and the character of Tyrone so so beautiful like the appreciation of like these moments of beauty of softness of love that he's able to kind of hold on to even with everything around him like kind of being hurtful and harmful and um hard yeah right and like that was the whole the the idea of having like water as a like useful theme of this right like him being like swimming as a child and then him and realizing that water is fluid and it can be both rough and then the waves are big and you know having someone there and then immediately when that role model is gone the water essentially is ice and dealing with coldness and hardness and how he's still trying to heal from you know being like curb stomped by a bunch of people and having the the ice of the water and and that ice bath justify that and then you have him when he goes into the bath and just like trying to you know understand where these like why his mother's being treated that way like the idea of using water in all of its forms to kind of also like visually tell the story that how he's dealing with these things but still understanding the cleansingness of this is is, is one of like the most fantastic like directing like strategies that i've seen uh, yes. in a long time like and you, remember all, you get color theory and you get color in, in movies all the time you get mm -hmm. cinematic shots in movies all the time very rarely mm -hmm. do they take an actual substance and use that as a, a storytelling element in any very film true. and i'm like oh well, that's that's unique that yeah most directors can't do unless we forget okay. water was like in the very in the scene where he meets with kevin like what does he drink it's like he doesn't drink wine he doesn't drink like he just drinks water like he mentions it like out loud as another another callback to the theme of water exactly. the shape of water and, he, and he's in, in 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 front of the sea as well at that point um one scene that i realized this time when i was like my fourth watch of this film it's thus the way Tell me you're poor without telling me you're poor. And when they, yeah. the, the, the scene where he has that bath, actually, he has to boil the water, which means he doesn't have hot water at home. Mm -hmm. yes. And he uses dishwasher, dishwasher soap because he doesn't have like proper soap for, for the bath, which is, which is very subtle. And yet it means so much in the film. Also, you, you can tell that they get, they get poorer. Yeah, as they, as they grow up, yes. he moves from a house to to a, I don't know what that's called, but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So that that was I could, yeah, and I could relate to that because I I did grow up where the, at one point that was same that was us. Have like, you ever had Have you ever had that um that water heater that will electrocute you if you're in if you touch the water while it's still on? I've ever seen that. I haven't, but I've seen Ninety Day Fiance where they <laughs> they, they showed that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. When I was a kid, that was how we took a bath. Um, so me and my siblings, we would have like this uh, balde. So it's like a, it's a, basically a, a tub or what? Not a tub. It's what do you call it? A a like a basin. Like basin, a, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a plastic basin. We'd fill it up with water. We take the water heater, which will electrocute you, by the way. You have to plug it in, put it in the water, let it heat up, and that's how we took our baths. And yeah, like it is very much a tell me you're poor without showing me you're poor um situation it's like yeah yeah kind of reminds me of that i think it's russell peters who made the joke about like him hanging out with his friend and they he went to go pour the milk and, the, and they're like hey you're out of milk and he's like oh crap let me go make some and he goes and he takes a little the rest of the milk and pours water <laughs> in the jug and he's like here it's skim milk <laughs> 
I feel that. I yeah. feel that so much. I was like, <laughs> holy crap! Like, no, oh that, that, that scene, that scene was so was so great, and the, yeah. and how long it lingers, and all the steps he has to take to have a proper bath. You yeah, it, it's definitely like when you mentioned like this couldn't have been made by a white person, you're right. It's also like it couldn't have been made by somebody who wasn't poor. Like I think if a white person could make this movie, they would they would have grown up with like in at least like very entrenched in this situation of economic like, cuz um I don't know if you've seen like Black Jeopardy, the um the, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 the yeah. uh was it Ke- the it was Keenan Thompson as the host for Black Jeopardy and they had Tom Hanks on there or something. And I think it's like the the um the 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 mix of like how uh black culture can also is also like um characterized by economic um uh issues like economic like um oppression and people who have experienced economic oppression will very often coincide with like um will very often have the same like cultural touchstones as people who have who have experienced other oppression so it's like it is like one of those things where i don't think anybody who would not have like had that kind of experience could really have made such a genuine movie and yeah like it's 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 definitely like this movie is um is yeah it's it's this perfect storm not not a storm like people actually work to make this happen but like it's the perfect blend of um showing hardship showing economic hardship showing like um racial issues showing like um cultural um cultural um like hardships and like expectations and everything while also making this lovely story this lovely coming of age story um about a man about a young man turning like an an adult who just wants to also have love and like that all those things together this movie is amazing i loved it so much and yeah that's my on that and it also goes back to like the like filmmakers having a voice and filmmakers bringing a perspective the insight that barry jenkins brings to this like someone that grew up in a middle class home a white middle class home does not understand how like for many people that's how they took a bath yeah like little things like that like little insight that that comes from someone who understands the community it's these little insights yeah that if you didn't grow up in that area you wouldn't understand it understanding how the drug like drug trafficking in ghettos works like mm-hmm. that's something that you that this movie has a such an innate understanding of, yeah. You know that you don't you wouldn't get from another perspective. It had to have been this this filmmaker, um, and you know if you've seen if Beale Street could talk, he has it has you could tell that he has that perspective. I don't know if he's going to bring it to his Lion King prequel. We'll see. see this is what <laughs> I mean. You make it, about that. This is we'll what see, I mean. You make an indie but... film. You make a really good indie film, and now you're working you're, for Disney. You're Disney, so <laughs> Disney but it's also, um, it's also yeah. interesting, like um, yeah. yeah, like these unique perspectives. It's it yeah, it, it's so I, I don't know how to describe it. There's like something about oh, that's what it is. Okay, so in a lot of Hollywood films, when they have stuff like you know gang violence or stuff like that, it's either they they overfocus on specific things to glamorize it or or uh, to either glorify it or to demonize it. Whereas when it comes to people who have lived these situations, lived these scenarios, it's just a part of life. It's presented that way. It's like they, we didn't see how um, Juan died because, uh, because um, uh, Chiron would not have seen that. You know, he'd probably yeah. know 
but we don't even know like if they talked after that situation I was so relieved when I was like oh he's he's like back in Teresa's home like as a teenager that means he and one made up but we but then I find out one's that dead and you're like no Ashley I don't know if they ever made up I don't know if he came there because one died or if they had made up much earlier and still like spent time together that's not for me to know but I think it's so interesting how in a lot of um, films made by ver like very um, yeah white directors or white directors from like from um, or middle class backgrounds and everything people who have not seen that kind of hardship to say like wow oh my god he's a drug dealer that means he's a bad guy or you know like very black and white like views of the world whereas in this scenario it's like it's just life you know it's like uh oh he's a drug dealer that fucking sucks but also um he's also like the my source of um like positive uh he's like a positive role model for me and he takes care of me so what does that leave me you know it's it's again going back to that film that i mentioned um uh i think it was like i think the actual title was something about the the coming of age of maximo oliveros but it's said in such a way where the coming of age is meant to be for women so it's like um it's basically means like becoming a young woman so but then it's like referring to this character who is quote-unquote male we don't actually have like um distinction between being gay and being trans so that's kind of like a whole other thing but um in that film it's the same thing it's like his family is a family of criminals you understand that that's like but at the same time the ones who are evil in this film are actually the cops but the family isn't innocent either and this kid who's like caught in all the crossfire of a family that is engaged in criminal acts and will eventually like kind of um, experience like something that backlash, which they do. Um, and then also like looking at police who are supposed to be this pillar of the community being completely and utterly corrupt and even somebody who's very like noble and um, uh, fair minded, just getting caught up in that corruption it's and then like having no answer you don't have an answer for that this person the very last shot in this movie was this this kid just like seeing the cop and walking away and that was the last shot of this movie and i think a similar thing can be said of moonlight where you they don't solve like they don't magically solve the drug problems they don't he doesn't magically like end his role as a drug dealer these are things that are beyond their personal story that they have to deal with and it's presented in a way where it's like you're not gonna find magical solutions to these things and that's a perspective that a lot of uh hollywood will refuse to do they'll try to either save the world or they'll ignore it like they'll take this personal story and then try to avoid they'll kind of like swerve out of the way of any moral ambiguity <laughs> despite the fact that moral ambiguity is part of life and you can't really escape it yeah i mean this movie basically tells you that you can't box people it's 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 there's no good good guy there's no bad guy in this there there's just people and, and juan he's a complex human being chiro and same thing paula all of them and and then that's actually one of the themes of the movie because some people especially would categorize people as good guys or bad guys or like um you know the 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 whole nonsense about a good guy with a gun and a bad guy with a gun i mean how do you know who's a good guy and how do you who's a bad guy, how do you, you define stuff like that? So that's stuff that society tells us, but you can't box people. You, and that's why at the end of the film, at some point, Chiron just says, well, I'm me, because he's unique. He's, he's, not, he's not a category, he's a person. 
But, Just a quick note to what Leon said when he, you talked about black masculinity and everything. No white filmmaker could have made this movie. No non-black filmmaker could have made this movie. With a movie like Moonlight, you're absolutely correct, Bill. You cannot have this being told from any other perspective. It doesn't work like that. Um, but like, if I write, uh, if I write a story and it has a female character in it, I'm not female. Uh, that makes it very difficult for me to actually say, hey, what does this character do? Like, how, how, how will this character react in this point of view, even though I'm a male writing about female? I can't write a story with just all male characters um, because that's ridiculous. When you boil it down, it's hard to, to constantly have the idea of how a character will react in a particular story. On the other hand, you cannot write about the themes that are presented in Moonlight from that point of view. You can write like character point of view, but not the themes. So the themes exactly. about, you know, uh, black, uh, black masculinity, masculinity in general, um, the theme actually being about uh, like people who are queer, um, then someone who is not of that can't write it. There is, I, like ideas of how like Patty Jenkins wrote about Wonder Woman is was that necessary? Um, probably yes. Was Patty Jenkins the person who could do it? Probably not. But you cannot have a movie about that has a theme of female empowerment without a female behind it. But you can write a movie about a powerful woman without necessarily having a male behind it, as long as the themes don't reflect it. Well, I was coming yeah. to say, like, I, I agree and I disagree because I do believe that um, anyone that takes care in crafting their characters can essentially write, you know, like a straight guy could probably write a gay character, uh, you know, could write a, a powerful female character. The difference, I think, is when you're trying to make a movie specifically about that experience. Like yes. Portia Red Lady on Fire could not have been made by any other woman other than Celine Siama because she is queer and she has had, had that experience. She comes from that perspective and that experience. So I think when you're trying, if you're trying to make that specific kind of movie, yeah, unfortunately there are nuances that you're not gonna fully appreciate or comprehend or be able to translate to film unless you come from that world. So I think it's also like, cuties, um, I think it's also the context. Um, well, again, cuties was brought up by someone so raised in that world. I think it's also like, it's the Avatar question, isn't it? Avatar The Last Airbender, not Avatar The Young. Um, yeah, the movie doesn't exist. Movie. Um, Avatar question is that, what is more wow. here? Um, the Avatar the Last Airbender. James Cameron movie doesn't exist. Oh, that's Pocahontas oh, on steroids. Yeah. Or well, we'll talk, Matsy's trying to make a point. Yeah, to make all right, Matsy, make a point. Go ahead. Um, is, um, Avatar The Last Airbender, good show, et cetera, but it was very much helmed by an all white, or all mostly white, like, um, creator creative team and there is no denying that it did like do a lot for like asian representation in media but but um it means that these are jobs that asians did not get despite the story being told so it is like of i am of two minds here i am of two minds in that one it is perfectly possible for somebody who does not exactly match the background of a certain character or story to tell that story but um, it is also a matter of who's getting the job. Like, um, right. and in Hollywood where 
where um, everyone talks about how um, the person who deserves the job gets it, which is not true, because we all know as people who have worked in film industries or creative industries of some description, that it's about networking. And when your network is all white people, when it's all white straight people, you're not going to get diversity behind the camera unless you really lobby for it. And I think that lobbying for diversity behind the camera does not necessarily mean that a lack, like that um, people have to match the exact background of the character or story that they're portraying. Right. It just means that one, more, pe more BIPOC people need to get more jobs. One, that's like from, the, from a very yeah. practical standpoint, people get, need to get hired. And when you're pulling from the same network that you've been pulling for the last 20, 30 years, it's gonna be white, it's gonna be, and it's, that's like, that's not good. It's a, it's a nepotism essentially. It's like, it's kind of cultural nepotism. But um, on another, but, but it's also like, it's not even like um, surprising because when you know somebody who does this really well, you're going to call them every single time. So the idea of diversity behind the camera is not just a racial thing. It's also just a matter of like going out of your network to see if there are people, new or old talent that you just have not noticed because you, right. you don't think about it. And now like, that you're thinking about it, uh oh, let's hire some people who might deserve it, but I just didn't think about because they weren't in my network. Other, right. But on the other hand, in telling a story, um, if you want it to be authentic, if you want it to be genuine, then you will have to either, uh, then you will have to pull from like people who can tell the story because they experienced it. And there's a difference, you know, like whether or not whatever you decide is better, there's always a difference. And if you want a story to be different, then you're going to have to look at different people to either tell the story or have a hand in telling the story. Right. So it's like of different minds. Like I won't, it's like the voice actor question as well. It's like, but um if you have an equal number of BIPOC voice actors and white voice actors do they all have to act the exact same background as they match in that's not that's not how it works that's no. not voice acting so like, Whereas, yeah it's, it's 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 like you know it's a matter of either um authenticity versus like who gets the job and both of those matter in this discussion so i'm i'm gonna come to the defense of avatar and voice actors and Monty, I do agree with you about all of your points. I think the difference with Avatar is exactly what Ed said. The theme of Avatar was never about an Asian experience. The theme of Avatar was about children of war and how they cope with those experiences. And can we tell that through characters who represent these different ideals? So yeah. when they said, hey, the theme is children of war. That could technically be of any culture, race, whether they're African, whether they're Russian, you tell that story. But then they said, okay, we're going to fly our team out because of the situation. You said, yes, they're networking, they're in Nickelodeon, they're majority white people, fine. And then they said, okay, we're going to fly those people out to China and we're going to show them what Shaolin Kung Fu is. And if you're an animator, you're going to learn the proper katas and you're going to learn how to do the finger placements and the hand placements and you're going to do this. Yes, we're going to have our motion capture reference guys be Asian and motion, the motion capture guys doing all of the culture stuff. We're going to talk to people who actually are like, like yogis in India and in Sri Lanka and invite them over and have seminars on that. The, rep, the theme in itself was children in war. But just like Ed said, you can't have the theme be different, but then you can also have the representation be done. In terms of like voice actors, 80% of it is, yes, you have voice actors in the situation, but also 
if you look at, we'll use black people in England who all have British accents because they're from England, um, and you want someone to have a British accent, you like, if you look at like Cree Summers and all the major black voice actors that I can call on my head, but I can't do it under pressure. Um, to Lamar. Yeah, you can't, you can't, that voice acting is a very double-edged sword because you can have black people in Japan, but because they're behind the scene, their character representation doesn't necessarily match their voice. So if people are like, oh, we need to have proper the, the proper voice actors, and I'm like, yeah, but you all forgetting that Phil Lamar played Samurai Jack, and yeah, I'm taking that away from him. You have Chris Summers who did Penny and Inspector Gadget, the, the blackest of black chicks who literally yeah, like doing this little like, about being in black about about being black in a black college in America and having to deal with racism. Played a blonde-haired, blue-eyes white lady as Inspector Gadget's uh, niece. I'm like. Exactly. It's like, it's, it is a case-by-case case basis, especially going into, like, I always like to pull the, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry really going into this, but essentially right. the, um, the, the comparison between Overwatch and Hades, the games, like, because you have Overwatch, which casts people that match the cultural background. They cast, like, they make sure, except for, like, very specific characters, they're like, this person is Swedish, so let's cast a Swedish person. This person is, like, um, uh, this Nigerian, so let's cast a Nigerian person, et cetera, et cetera. That's one way of doing it. That's a good way of doing it. The other one is Hades, in which half the cast is voiced by a Black man, um, and none of the characters that he voices are Black, or, like, Black, or le look Black, whereas you have one Black character, Black looking character a couple of them but like um voiced by white actors but again these are all fantasies so again there's a kind of like it's a case-by-case -case basis right, right. Like, right. It isn't and like a matter of um but again like all of these discussions about uh, authenticity story etc like um behind the scenes and also like opportunities all of these it's like and in moonlight as with moonlight it's all in this is what intersectionality looks like intersectionality is taking all of these differing aspects of life of culture that you have to think about and thinking about how do these things fit together and so there is no one right answer and i think that's like what's so powerful about discussions like these you have a lot more nuance in it's a case-by-case -case basis sometimes this is right sometimes it isn't but you have to take crit think critically about what this all means no i just want to say uh no i agree that lately on for example you can write a, a strong woman you can make a movie about strong women yeah. if you're as, as ed was saying if your theme is about womanhood and you don't have any woman in the creative process then there's an issue yes now you fact. can direct it you can write it but if if you're writing about womanhood you you should have a consultant at the very least to work with you and stuff like that i think you know it's it reminds me of, of a recent film, The Invisible Man, where much of that film is about domestic violence, domestic abuse from a female perspective. And I know Lee Winnell, you know, when they asked when when he was interviewed about, you know, how did he capture this? He said, I knew right away, I am not the person that could tell this story. Like, I am a man. I've never been in these positions. So he went and interviewed domestic abuse abuse counselors. He had people consult him. He asked Elizabeth Moss to give as much feedback as possible in portraying that. And I think he did a great job, but I think he also had the buffer of it being a horror film. 
or a sci-fi mm. film. So mm. he had that, like, it's a genre film. We want to get this aspect um, right because there's a lot of allegories that we have about this film, you know, about domestic abuse, but he has that comfort buffer of it being an allegory, of it being a genre picture. Whereas with Barry Jenkins and Moonlight, this is very much a specific experience that he's trying to provide every single audience member who watches this film about what it's like to be a black gay man growing up in poverty-stricken neighborhoods, rife with crime, rife with drugs. And that is such a specific experience that the only way that's gonna, the only way this movie would work is being authentic, is, is having, wearing its authenticity on its sleeve. And the only way you get that is from living that experience or being surrounded by that experience. And I think this film, why it's so important that this film was recognized in, at the Oscars, was, is recognized as one of these great masterpieces is because of how it, well it does that. And just how well-structured it is in these three segments, like going back to Adil's point of like, you know, you, you people, you see a person, you kind of form your opinion of them. Well, these people are presented in three different stages of their life. If you meet Paula at the end of the film, she's a wonderful human being. You meet Paula at the beginning of the film, you can't stand her, you know? Yeah. This film is really all about that. It's about experience. Yeah, and it's about people, it's about moments. It's, it is, yeah, wonderful in that way. And just to um, quickly bring up, I'm sorry, like the, the point we were making a while ago, just um, as a thought, thought as a thought like not I don't have a point to this it's just that um when speaking of like telling authentic stories even if you don't necessarily match the background of the person like of of what you're telling I think of Kipo and the Wonder Beast the mm. Wonder Beast series in which this showrunner was white but if you watch this show it's a very black cultural show because of the way like a lot of creatives behind it were black and like bring a lot of like music and like the voice actors and everything. It's just, it's, it's so fascinating. Like, and similarly to the Watchmen show, which, Ooh. which um, brought the Tulsa riots back into center frame. Again, the head writer was also white and it is like a matter of, and a similar thing about, what was it? I think it was black, the black jeopardy, like um, skit as well. Um, the writer was also white, if I remember correctly. And it is a matter of uh, a lot of uh, white creatives, not all of them, obviously, but like a lot of them are feel insecure by the idea that there needs to be um, authentic representation because it, it, it's like, well, um, that means that I am no longer allowed to tell my story, which is not what that means. But I think like there is, it, it's so interesting like to look at how authenticity can be portrayed, even if you don't match the exact um, background, if you are, both um, honest and like very thoughtful and genuine and also like do your research, first of all. Uh, second of all, if you have on a, like, if you have the authentic voices to um, kind of um, bring them forward, if you like push them up in such a way where even though you're the head quote unquote of this operation, you are basically like, you're not egotistical. You're not like thinking you're more important than your entire team. That's another way to do it. 
And I think like, um, even though it's not the situation for Moonlight, I think for a lot of shows and TV series in which diversity is like what something they want to like push as a sort of like memo as an in, in um, memo, in internal memo or something. I think like there's, it's more important to be respectful and open to, mo to more voices as opposed to just thinking that if you have an all black behind, like if you have an all black crew that fixes all the problems, that's not going to happen. I think like the thoughtfulness and like looking at like really digging into what authenticity means does not necessarily mean you have to mix, you have to like pick and choose and match people as though we're going back to segregation. That's not how yeah, it works. That's ironic, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, like on that note, um, like Ed, what, what, what's your final thoughts on, on this movie? I mean, it's a, it's a great movie. I like I said, it's it's a masterpiece on every level. It's 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 you know structurally, it's fantastic the way it presents this person at three different stages of his life. Um, thematically, it's it it touches upon really important subject matter that I think we all have to, especially in 2021, where everyone is so convinced that their opinion is fact. Um, I think that we really need to look at this film and be like, you know, let's, let's put ourselves in other people's shoes and let's put ourselves in other experiences that will broaden our minds. And I, I love this film so much. It's ridiculous how I'm only giving it a nine out of 10. <laughs> um, you probably. I, yeah, it is a me problem. Um, you know, me, I, literally my only flaw is that it's not long enough. Like, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I just think it's a wonderful film. I can't, I can't speak any higher than that. I think, I think it is, it is a film that, that we need more of. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's great. I think it's, uh, I think it's a movie that does a lot of things that a lot of movies uh, don't do. That could be both on the fact that they made a movie about gay people, that's one thing Hollywood doesn't do often. Uh, and then black experience, which is that didn't involve crime or uh, slavery. So that's something that like Hollywood doesn't do. Uh, and then they also did time jumps, which is a lot of thing that Hollywood doesn't do. It was just like, they literally said, what is the exact anti-Hollywood film uh, that they could make? And then they made it. <laughs> and then A24 goes, yes. This is right? the film we want to distribute. We love about Hollywood films, but then also everything that we hate about Hollywood films, they're like, it's so interesting. Like, it is a movie that is as beautiful as a, a well made, high budget Hollywood film, but also has a story that is anti, very anti the Hollywood film. Right. It and was anti. Oh, uh, yeah. And it my final thoughts on it is just that. Um, uh, I've already said everything. So, um, uh, at, uh, what was it? adult Chiron was very cute. That's my final thought. <laughs> right. And a deal, the best for last. <laughs> so much pressure. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a fantastic film. It's it's so well made. It's uh, it has a lot of subtle touches that make it so great. It's uh, it uses all the techniques that it can in the best of ways. And uh, also, I love the, the message is amazing. The, the just the, the societal pressures, toxic masculinity, sorry, toxic masculinity, what it can do to a boy, a man, 
and I think uh, personally I can attest to that. And it's it's great how it humanizes people even when they are can be seen as criminals, especially today. Like right now, we are having the Derek Chauvin a trial that's going on. The guy yeah. who murdered um, George Floyd, and basically people like that just don't see black people or poor people or certain categories of people as human beings this movie gives you that message that you can't just judge somebody just because you've seen just a glimpse of them or just you've just seen them and just box them right away right it's a wonderful film that uh, i love i can't watch it often because it has this (laughs) emotional effect on me but it's if you haven't seen it i mean what are you waiting for it's so good. Yeah. Uh, don't wait for us to tell you to watch it. Go watch it. I mean, yeah. it's just funny. I'm like, I'm like, you're just like, oh, look at all these things happening. I was like, oh, yeah, to deal with some racism. And then <laughs> having to actively, like, respond with, I understand exactly where you're coming from, but I don't believe that this, because there's going to be a blowout that I have to deal with later. So I'm just like, I, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I understand now, like, the, the, the mentality of being able um to balance out black masculinity uh, and power struggles in particular groups. So like, yeah, uh, I get it. I mean, that's my final thoughts. Uh, well, yeah, apparently Monty only loves movies that involve gay people and no white people. So yes, I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> another one involved white people. So that's fine. It's... I mean, you can't say that after you've screamed yes in an affirmation. You'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, you are, your, your brain was like, I agree with this. <laughs> Wait, no, it's, yeah, I mean, it is, like, a preference, like, to me, I've seen many films in my time, many, 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 many films, and at this point, I'm just, like, if you have white, straight people in the movie, you better impress me, you better impress me, because I'm tired, I'm not gonna bother with this, I have, I'm fine, I've had my fill, I'm fine. Well, thank you all for listening, join us next time, and in a couple months, when I... I guess I have to stand up for Brokeback Mountain and say, <laughs> make promises tell, all sure you, you can tell all of you why you're wrong for that. Why you're I, wrong never, I never said that. it was a bad movie. <laughs> all of me. I, I'm with you there. I never said it was a bad movie. I just said that it... Moonlight. It's no, no, you didn't say it. I didn't say it was a bad movie. I just said I it can't be... No, you Moonlight. did not say it. Fair, fair. <laughs> I just it's a bad movie. You can't compare. You can't compare Broke Mac to no. You, and you should not. You should not just compare two movies because they both have. They are about gay people. It's, well, it's yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, well, I mean, like no, on a film, on a film, like not just because about on like an actual cinematic level, like filming wise, scripting wise, acting. Oh no, 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 no. We're we're gonna. We will. We will have. Oh this God. We'll have already, words. I've be... already got my film for two words. months from now. So. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Well. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, yeah, you, you know. Um, much love. Much, much love. love. each other. Yes. Yeah, much love, all love. Uh, you know. Uh, bye. Be, <laughs> and bye. Don't be racist, don't be cool, be good people. You know how it is. But watch great movies. Watch great movies. Watch great movies. Yeah. Uh, also, side yeah. note, have you guys, have you guys seen uh, the trailer for Brother Falls yet? For what? what? I don't even so, know what Thank you all for listening to this episode of Plot Mechanics. Hope you all enjoyed that. Please subscribe, like, and review our podcast on the platform you choose to listen to us on. You can follow us on our social media on Facebook, that is Plot Mechanics Official, on Instagram as Plot Mechanics, 
and on Twitter at PlotMechanics4. That's PlotMechanics4, because there are four of us. Thank you for the support, and hope to see you all next week.